Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host Viz from Walking Dead Now. Want to welcome all of our viewers Friday night. Hope you guys are enjoying the start of your weekend. If you're joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. And as always, if you haven't already done so, please visit us on YouTube. Our channel's name is called Walking Dead Now. Please head on over there and subscribe if you're there right now. Be much appreciated if you guys hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast. So how is everyone doing on this Friday evening? Let's start on Instagram today. Let's welcome Shivam is with us from India. Welcome. Brissa is giving us a thumbs up. Nahui is also giving us a smiley love face. Monica has joined us. So let's go on over to the YouTube side and Facebook and Twitter. Khaleesi is with us. Singer Chick is with us. CC Wheezy. Good to see all the regular faces. Justin is with us as well. Jennifer and John Wesley are with us on Facebook. I haven't seen you guys in a while. Welcome back. It's good to have you guys back with us. Glenn is with us on Facebook. Anne Ocampo is with us from the Philippines. Welcome, Anne. Lindsay Sparks, our regular, is with us on Facebook as well. Misty Lowry is also with us on Facebook, as is Glenn. Welcome to all you guys. Like I said, I hope you're enjoying the start of your weekend. For some of you guys, it's already Saturday morning here in the east coast of the U.S. It is currently 9.33 p.m. on Friday night. So let's get started on some news and information. Well, mostly a lot of theories, but you know the deal. You know, love to read these articles with you guys. So let's start off with how Norman Reedus reveals how embarrassing new coronavirus measures left him injured on the set. We read an article yesterday involving Norman Reedus and his interactions with a Walker stunt double that involved bodily fluids. That was yesterday. Let's see if this is sort of the same thing. The actor has been filming season 11 on the popular AMC drama this month and admitted that he was put through the uh, paces as he carried out the latest string of fight sequences. As the global coronavirus pandemic rages on, production companies have bent over backwards to comply with safety measures on set. However, Daryl Dixon star Redis claimed the new rules left him feeling embarrassed. We wear these little tracers on our clothes to tell us how long they've been in proximity to one another, uh, reiterating that everyone is being super safe. There's a ton of rules now. Everyone is masked up or has shields on. He does have a scar on his face, so a mask doesn't work, so he has to wear the shield on his face. Daily temperature readings, because I'll show up on the set and they'll be like, actor on set, and then the people part like Moses and the sea, and I'm like, excuse me, coming through, it's embarrassing, he continued. Actor on set. I wonder if that's something that was there before coronavirus. Actor on set, clear the way. Lamenting the lack of contact with his friends involved in the show, he added, we like to hug, we like to high five, we like to shake each other. Okay, they like to shake each other. That's that's cool. Uh, we're, with, we're with that group, so to keep us all separated, it's different. Now everyone's away from each other and everyone's got these masks on and you can't see people smile. So it's kind of a different vibe. As for the injury, Rita says, said that having to maintain a distance during fight sequences actually made it difficult when it came to pulling off falls on the ground. Usually you're kind of face to face, you can roll around together and have, there we go again, fluid movements. And it doesn't hurt your body as much. But this guy had to be away from me and he had to wear a mask um, on a zombie, which was really weird, he uh, recounted. So, man, now this is the second time, this is the second article uh, recounting pretty much the same interview that Norman gave 
So these walkers and what they call them, the walkers that you see really up close, the zombies, they call them hero zombies, okay? As opposed to the, the zombies, especially if it's a bunch of them and they're further back on the set, on the screen. But the ones up close, they call them hero zombies. So from what I'm getting from this is the hero zombies, they have the zombie makeup on and then they have to wear a mask. And I guess uh, during post-production when the visual effects people, uh, you know, when the scenes go on to them, they, doing video magic, remove the mask from the zombie's face and we're left with whatever image they want to show us. That's really interesting. But in, he goes on to say, but instead of the fluid rolling around sort of style, he has to stiff arm me to get his face out of camera. So it hurt a lot more. I finally got manhandled by a zombie. Fortunately, there was no bad blood between the pair and they even got a drink together after filming the scene. That was nice. I had to offer him a free drink at Nick and Norman's because I think I hurt him a little bit. But it was actually me that deserved a drink because I got beat up more than him, he concluded. So, you know, good information on just some of the measures that they're, that they're doing on set there. Uh, it's just hard to imagine. Now, picture, put yourself in Norman Reedus' shoes, okay? You're the character of Daryl. And the director yells, action! And you and this stunt double who's playing a zombie have to go to battle, right? How do you keep a straight face fighting a zombie with a face mask on? The zombie having the face mask on. How does that work? I mean, how do you keep a straight face through that? Uh, that's what I'm curious. But, you know, apparently that's how they're doing it. And it's pretty cool, actually. Uh, Singer Chick says, uh, we got to find some of the others. Uh... Singer Chuck also writes, Viz, don't they use some of them over and over again? They just change their makeup. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, they do use a lot of the same extras for walkers. And, of course, with a different makeup, you can't tell who's who. Gypsy Road is joining us on YouTube. Singer Chick says, I'd roll around on the ground with Daryl. Well, not according to how they're doing it now, because you won't get it, even if you are rolling around on the ground with him on camera. Uh, and it might look that way when we see the final scene. But when you're filming it, you're probably not going to be more very close to him. <laughs> Khaleesi is laughing out loud. Anyway, uh, uh, welcome to Malicious on Instagram. Batista KT has also joined us on Instagram as well. Now let's move on. The most brutal, The Walking Dead battles, okay? Let's see what they've listed as the most brutal Walking Dead battles. And just a little disclaimer here. Uh, they call our communities, the ones that are the stars or the people that we've seen all this time, the survivors. And I've mentioned this before. They're all survivors, whether you're good, bad, whatever everyone's a survivor but when they mention survivors they mean like the alexandrians hilltops you know oceanside people and so on so the survivors versus the whisperers following negan's assassination of alpha the whisperers were temporarily left without a leader it was believed that her death would cause collective their collective to collapse and force them to scatter but second-in-command Beta had other plans. Driven further into insanity by Alpha's death, he organized the undead horde and led them on an attack against the survivors. The resulting horde attacked from multiple fronts while Whisperer assassins tried to make their way into a hospital compound to slay the living. Some quick thinking by Daryl, Negan, and Carol managed to save the day and put Beta and the Whisperers down for the count. Next on the list, 
the survivors versus the sanctuary, the saviors. After narrowly escaping death at the hands of the saviors, Rick and the partner communities didn't hesitate to press their attack on the sanctuary. The script had flipped and Negan was on the opposite end of the proverbial baseball bat. A defiant Rick eager for revenge kicked off the fight, which drove the saviors back into the compound. The battle ended with the survivors ramming a truck through the front gate. It was really just Daryl, which allowed a horde of zombies to pour in. This act incapacitated the saviors for a time until Negan worked out a counterattack with a little help from Eugene. That's right. It was Eugene that got them out of that whole sanctuary surrounded by Walker situation. Because Negan pretty said, if uh, you don't get us out of this in one way or another, I'm going to kill you first. I'm going to kill you first because I like you, is what Negan tells Eugene. Uh, because he didn't want Eugene to see how everyone is going to start turning on each other when their supplies run out in the sanctuary. So, welcome to Justin on YouTube. Um, thank you, Gypsy. So, let's see. The next battle, the Walkers versus the Camp. Okay. Uh, season 1. The first true tragedy of The Walking Dead occurred near the end of Season 1 when the encampment was attacked and overrun by a zombie horde. It was an especially hard thing to watch. Several members of the camp torn apart after audiences had a hard time to get to know, you know, had a time, sorry, before the audience had time to get to even know them. Their slaughter put the survivors on the road with nowhere to go, inexperienced and aimless, they would eventually make their way to the CDC headquarters in Atlanta, where they would learn some startling revelations. Next on the list is probably one of my favorites, The Walkers vs. Alexandria. Awesome episode. The uh, zombie attack on Alexandria was devastating, and it led to the deaths of several major characters, including Jesse, and her young son. It's one thing to show adults being torn to shreds by the zombie undead, but this episode was, was the first to feature a child getting the same treatment. It was a shocking scene that led immediately to the death of Jesse, much to Rick's sorrow and horror. The event destroyed any chance of the two getting together, but it would open up the opportunity for Rick to become romantically involved with Michonne later, much to our team member and longtime viewer, Summer's Delight. Summer's all about Michonne. And that was a great episode. You know, when Rick came out after Carl was shot in the eye and he rushed him to the infirmary, Rick had had enough. Uh, he just is like, screw it. I'm going to take them all on by myself, which is what he started doing. Everyone else was holed up in their house watching what was what Rick was doing from the inside. And they came out and they joined him. And once they all joined forces, they were able to overtake the walkers. Of course, they had help. Daryl showed up with Abraham and Sasha. Daryl uh, used that RPG to light the lake on fire, which took care of the majority of the horde as they were led into the lake of fire, thanks to Daryl. But that was an amazing episode. I love that one. All right, next on the list, the survivors versus the satellite stronghold. Oh, boy. In order to strike up a long-lasting... Now, before I even get to this... They're talking about Negan's outpost. This is where uh, Rick makes the deal with Hilltop when they first meet Hilltop that 
you know, Rick is going to, Rick and his people are going to go and slaughter these unknown group of people who call themselves the saviors. By far Rick's biggest mistake of all time on the show. He was cocky. He was arrogant. Nobody really checked him on that. And that's when he stepped in it and they paid the price when they actually got to meet Negan in, uh, well, at the end of season six. So in order to strike up a long-lasting partnership between themselves and the Hilltop, Rick agreed to assassinate the Saviors by infiltrating their satellite compound, also known as their outpost, and slaying them in their sleep. This act of brutality would have horrific repercussions that reverberated throughout the next several seasons. The battle itself was brutal, inhumane, and uncomfortable to watch. Saviors were murdered in their own beds while they slept, effectively turning Rick and his people into the bad guys. And they were, no doubt about it, they murdered people in their sleep. Uh, there is no way to put a positive spin on that. Things got intense when the, the rest awoke and took part in a deadly gun battle that lasted until the morning. What came next would change Rick and his friends forever. So, let's see. The Survivors versus Terminus. Another great battle. Terminus was supposed to be a haven for those in need, but in reality, it was hell on earth. Rick and his crew found themselves imprisoned by Terminus inhabitants who had lured them into becoming the next main course on a cannibalistic menu. The nail-biting horror began as survivors were forced to kneel over a trough while their throats were slit, allowing them to bleed out. Without some timely intervention by super-heroic Carol, the results would have been disastrous. Rick and his crew managed to gain the upper hand and slaughtered the inhabitants of Terminus. While several fled the compound, Rick dealt with them in due course, obviously. Uh... So I'm just looking over what you guys are saying. Singer Chick writes, that bothered Glenn uh, so bad. You could see the it in his face. Uh, it did bother him, but he did it anyways. Uh, you know, Glenn went on ahead and he did slaughter those people in their sleep. So as much as we love Glenn and all that stuff, uh, yeah, he was a murderer. Uh, at least for that one night. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, uh, the next one is Rick versus the Claimers, also known as the Marauders. The Claimers were an unsavory and immoral group of nomads with a, with a twisted honor system that re revolved around each member claiming what he saw, leaving no room for argument. The methodology was shaky at best, but it was enough to tempt a jaded Daryl to join their ranks permanently. Things went to the dogs when the claimers threatened to abuse Carl, which sent Rick into a blood-crazed rage. With the cold, calculating abandon, he slaughtered the claimers in grisly fashion, even go so far as to bite the throat out of one and spit it out nonchalantly onto the ground. It was a testament to how far Rick had gone and also how far Rick is willing to go, especially when his son's life is on the line, you know? Uh, Kyle is with us on Instagram. Hello to Kyle. Thank you for joining us. Um, Summer is with us on YouTube. Uh, let's see. Rhea is joining us on Facebook, saying trying to catch up for the lost time. Uh, Grace is with us on Facebook as well. Khaleesi writes one of my favorite episodes of Rick when he bit Joe's neck. 
Now that's a dad. That's a badass dad at that. Uh, Lisa writes, it got to the point that it was to kill or be killed most of the time that these gruesome acts occurred. That is true. Skippy TV is with us on YouTube saying hello. Hello, Skippy. Welcome to the show. So, next thing on the list is the Walking Dead star Lauren Cohen says coronavirus was good preparation for season 10 return. Lauren Cohen, who of course plays Maggie Ree in the AMC hit drama The Walking Dead, has revealed that the current COVID pandemic helped prepare her for the return to the long-running show. You would think I would have felt so much anxiety in the beginning since that was my pretend life for 10 years, the 38-year-old actor told NME. I bought a lot of canned goods in the beginning, but now I give them to homeless shelters because I haven't opened up any of them. There are interesting parallels with COVID and The Walking Dead. You imagine scenarios and think about what you would do. It reminded me of what is important in life. Cohen recently returned to the show in the opening moments of the delayed finale of season 10. She says the pandemic prepared her to take up the role of the long-surviving widow after leaving the show five episodes into season nine in 2018. If you guys all remember, Rick Grimes' last episode was also Maggie's last episode before we saw her again in this finale. It's been good preparation to be going back into the season, she continued. I think about the scene in the prison uh, in season four where Maggie and Glenn, played by Stephen Yen, find out that they were pregnant. And I say, I don't want to be afraid of being alive. I find that going through my mind all the time lately. I try to be aware and cautious about the present time, but I also try to be to the fullest version of myself. Cohen went on to say that she missed her time away from The Walking Dead, a live-action adaptation of writer Robert Kirkman's now-concluded graphic novel series of the same name. In the interim, Cohen played CIA operative Francesca Frankie uh, Trowbridge in the spy drama Whiskey Cavalier. ABC canceled the show at the end of its first season. I miss the camaraderie, she said. There's new characters and new actors who have entered the show in the time that I've been away, but I didn't miss a beat connecting with them. That's a pretty special thing to find in life and in work, and I missed Maggie. Uh, We're in pre-production for the next six episodes right now, and reading what she gets to do going forward is very exciting. With The Walking Dead due to conclude in its 11th season in 2022, Cohen took the time to reflect on her time in the show to date. I'm so grateful to work, she said, but also to make something so important to all the fans. I'm not a doctor and I'm not saving lives, but I really, really love doing things that people can commune over. Cohen recently told Entertainment Weekly, that talks have been had regarding a spin-off to The Walking Dead that may center around her character. I know that there are murmurings of an extended story with Maggie when the official mothership is done. So how do you guys feel about Maggie getting her own spin-off? We know Daryl and Carol are getting their own spin-off. Uh, how do you guys feel about Maggie getting her own? Ah, Ashley Pecco says, call my name. Well, there you go. Uh, Janie Joe is with us on Instagram, giving us a bunch of smiley love faces and hearts. Welcome, Janie Joe. It's good to see you back on the show. Angry Castano has also joined us as well. Welcome to all you guys. Uh, Khaleesi says, I would so love to have a t-shirt of Maggie. I love it, Viz. This is actually a t-shirt of Daryl. I actually don't have any Maggie t-shirts. I should get one, though. 
I should definitely get a Maggie t-shirt. Um, Summer writes, depends on what the story would be of Maggie in regards to her getting a spinoff. That, that is true. You don't want to spread the uh, franchise too thin. You don't want every character getting their own spinoff. You, you still want to keep it cohesive and tight amongst uh, the main stars. And you got to remember, there's a whole bunch more characters that we're going to be meeting over the next two years in regards to the Commonwealth and other characters as well. So let's see how that goes. Uh, Singer Chick writes, I don't know about a spinoff with Maggie. I think I'd rather see one of Negan or Ezekiel. Well, Ezekiel has thyroid cancer. So I don't know how long for the show he exactly is in for. I didn't think he was going to make it out of the finale, but he did. I'm grateful for that. But let's not forget, guys, this is The Walking Dead. And just because Ezekiel made it out of the finale alive, don't be surprised if they whack him in the premiere. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? This is The Walking Dead, and they have done that to us in the past. Uh, He does have thyroid cancer, uh, unless he is completely wrong, and some doctor in the Commonwealth who has you know, imaging technology can look at that big lump in his neck and say, no, it's just a benign tumor and we can take it out. Maybe that's where they're going with this, you know? Uh, Remember, he thinks it's thyroid cancer because uh, there's a family history of thyroid cancer in his family. And that's what leads him to believe that it's thyroid cancer. Now, they're about, they've met the Commonwealth. They're a big community, lots of resources. They probably do have several doctors there. Would not surprise me if they have the right technology to actually say to him, it's not thyroid cancer. It is benign and we can remove it for you. You never know. That's definitely a possibility. Justin on YouTube writes, I'd love to see Negan. He is a wild, uh, wild card, grown to love his character. A lot of people have, me included. All right, let's move on to the next thing here. Fear the Walking Dead finally remembers its season one character's origins. Fear the Walking Dead season six is leaning on its original character season one roots. The latest episode of the new season shifts attention from Morgan to Alicia, Strand, Charlie, and Daniel, who are now stationed at the Pioneer's main encampment. Sometime after everyone was split up in the Fear of the Walking Dead Season 5 finale, the the four characters were relocated with Alicia and Strand doing cleanup work for the Pioneers. After going to meet with Virginia... Alicia and Strand come face-to-face with Daniel Salazar, who seemingly had no memory of them and is now working as a barber for the Pioneers. Later, they were reunited with Charlie, who had to help them clear an area of zombies. When they succeeded in their mission, Strand received a big promotion from Virginia. At the end of the episode, Strand had Alicia transferred out of Lawton, and Daniel had an encounter with Morgan. In this scene, it was confirmed that Daniel never actually lost his memories, which, while watching that episode, I had serious doubts that he did. Uh, Daniel can be very clever, and he can convince anyone of anything when he really, truly wants to. And he did that amnesia thing. He had me questioning it, I was questioning it, but I'm like, nah, nah, he didn't lose his memory. Uh, Justin on YouTube writes, it's crazy how the writers can play on our emotions like that to where you can do a complete 180 on a character. Uh, That's the beauty of writing for a TV show. You can literally make up anything you want to and make it come to life on the TV screen or movie. 
Um, Alicia Strand and Daniel are the only characters on the show left over from season one. And now Fear the Walking Dead is finally leaning on their origins and who they were when the zombie apocalypse began. Excuse me. A key example of this is what season six is doing with Strand, who Fear the Walking Dead took down a path to redemption in seasons four and five. The show undid all of that in episode two by having him use an innocent man as a distraction for the zombies. What Strand did is not something he would have done in the last two seasons and is more in line with the selfish con man that he was at the beginning of the series. And, you know, for me personally, having seen Strand in the early seasons of the show, and then Strand on the Road to Redemption in seasons four and five, I like this Strand a lot better. I think this Strand is a lot more interesting, much more fascinating. Uh, you know, I liked him trying to be the good guy, the nice guy. And I think he really got it when they were being separated at the end of season five and Daniel turns to him as they're being pulled apart. And Daniel turns to him, don't forget who you are while you're inside. And a lot of us thought that meant, don't forget you've become a good guy. But it's not. What Daniel was telling him is... Don't forget who you really are, because that's where you're going to have to be again to get out of this. And Strand realized that at the end of the second episode that we saw uh, just last weekend. And it's fascinating. And again, just the, the insight and how brilliant of a character Daniel is and how awesome Reuben Blades is in portraying Daniel on the screen. Uh, Strand acknowledged this when he told Alicia that he needs to forget the person that he was, that he, sorry, he needs to forget the, the person that he has become. There's also the matter of Daniel Salazar. Back in Fear of the Walking Dead Season 1, Daniel was introduced as a man who ran a barber shop in California. Now that he's with the Pioneers, he's back to giving haircuts again. Furthermore, Daniel is presumably using his amnesia act to spy on the Pioneers. The implication of the episode's final scene is that he'll be Morgan's inside man in season six. And Daniel and Morgan working together, uh, Morgan on the inside, Daniel on the inside, that's awesome. By going in this direction, Daniel will be relying on the skill he used as an assassin for the CIA during the Salvadorian Civil War. Whoa, back up a second there. Did I miss something? Because knowing, you know, from the earlier uh, seasons of the show... He was no CIA agent. He was part of the Salvadorian military. Did anyone here think, or did I miss a part of an early episode where they mentioned that Daniel's character was CIA? Because I totally missed that part. And if they saw something that I missed, or if somebody here remembers something to... uh, Yeah, Khaleesi says it said nothing about the CIA. So I'm right. So I don't know where they pulled that information out from, but he was, the way I understood it, he was part of the Salvadorian, uh, either the the military or the rebels or whatever, and he had nothing to do with the CIA. Anyway, it's been a long time since the AMC series has utilized these important aspects of Victor Strand and Daniel Salazar's characters. For better or worse, Fear of the Walking Dead has been a different show since Morgan came on board in Season 4. And I've said this before as well. This season, even though we're only two episodes in, is absolutely freaking amazing. 
if they keep this up for the rest of this season, it's going to be one for the history books. Singer check writes, it must may just be a misprint. They goofed. No, I think they just got some really bad information there. And they made an assumption that anybody who's watched every episode of Fear, I guarantee you they never thought that Daniel was a CIA agent. Anyway, during this time, the cast was shaken up considerably with the addition of numerous new characters such as John, played by Garrett Dillahunt, June, played by Jenna Elfman, Althea, Al, played by Maggie Grace, and more. For a while now, the group has been focused on their mission of helping people in need, and that's distracted a bit from some of the darker elements of people like Strand, Daniel, and even Morgan, who is also embracing a dark new change of, the, of pace. With that in mind, it's good to see Fear of the Walking Dead honoring its character roots in season six. And, you know, the whole we gotta help people and have that be just the underlying main story for two full seasons was a little bit much. Uh, Seasons four and five were a huge improvement over seasons one, two, and three of Fear the Walking Dead. But, you know, the way they really stretched out that we're just here to save people and just have that be the main underlying arc, that show needed a really big-time bad guy, and that's Virginia. And I love this storyline. I love the story of Virginia. She is uh, she's bad to the bone. She does have a lot of weaknesses, and uh, we got to see where they take her. Uh, now, is she Negan evil or is she the governor type evil? Remember, I've always classified the governor as a psychopath, while Negan put on a great act, as he told Alpha, of becoming the monster that he thought the world needed when he did all that bad stuff. So that's why I say, is he going to be like a go- is she going to be like a governor type bad person or like a Negan type bad per- person? From what we've seen of Virginia so far, I do not see any redeeming qualities in Virginia. She has a big chip on her shoulder. It's either her way or the highway. I do see a little bit of Negan. I do see a little bit of the governor in her. But ultimately, the next 14 episodes on Fear is going to reveal uh, her true nature. Is the Pioneer storyline going to be over with by the end of this season? Uh, season six i have no idea is it going to spill over into season seven of fear you just have to wait and find out uh khaleesi writes she is freaking awesome making me hate her fanny is with us from brazil welcome fanny from brazil skippy tv on youtube writes wow uh so Speaking of Negan, this final piece we're going to do here. Damn, we're 38 minutes in already. Uh, Here are the worst things Negan has ever done. And we're going to quickly go through this. We all know what the bad stuff that Negan has done. Uh, You know, they start off with burning the rule breakers. As a leader of the saviors, Negan's had some pretty harsh rules put in place to make sure people stayed in line and respected him and as well as respected him they want he wanted them to admire and of course look up to him as well one such rule dictates that if someone in the sanctuary betrays him or attempts to flee he applies a red hot iron to the side of their face in punishment for their insubordination even crueler than that he often elects it to do it in front of his many followers and the residents of the sanctuary to remind everyone of what's at stake should they insult his authority though you don't actually see the burning on screen dwight is a clear example of what happens if you break the rules (coughs) excuse me When we first met Dwight, 
with Sherry in the woods with uh, Daryl when they meet up with Daryl and then they betray Daryl and go back to Negan. And then we see him again. Well, that's when he kills Denise and he has this wicked ass scar on the side of his face. Um, Austin Emilio who plays Dwight. And uh, we find out how that came to be. We almost pretty much assumed that it was Negan's punishment on Dwight for leaving, even though he did come back. And he didn't stop there. He also took his wife as well. Uh, Singer Chick writes, so much for loving Negan. By the time we get to the end of this, I'll be back to hating him. CC Wheezy writes, those people at the sanctuary were barbarian Negans had to rule with an iron fist. Uh, so let's see. He uh, attacking the hilltop with the Whisperers in season 10, even though he did that to maintain his cover with Alpha so he can get her alone to kill her. But we also do know that he did develop some feelings for Alpha as well. I would not call it exactly love, but more of a respect for Alpha. Uh, Raiding Alexandria. Uh, that's after they got loose from the sanctuary. And they headed straight for Alexandria. That's when Carl was bit. Carl distracted him on top of the wall long enough for Carl's people to get underground. And then the saviors firebombed Alexandria. Uh, and then they actually list this as a bad thing that he's done. Uh, taking so long to kill Alpha. You know, you're right. He could have taken Alpha out a lot quicker, but he's right. He would be dead. You know, as soon as he got close to her with Beta and the Whisperers all around, he could have killed her and he would have been dead five seconds later by Beta. So he played it smart. So I really would not put taking so long to kill Alpha on this list. Now, torturing Daryl, I would put that on the list. Uh, even though it wasn't Negan directly who was torturing Daryl, he left that task up to Dwight. And Dwight was not doing it quick enough. And not doing it to Negan's satisfaction, to which led Negan telling Dwight, are you breaking him or is he breaking you? And of course, the worst thing that we have seen Negan do without any question is when we first met him, killing Abraham and Glenn. We've talked about that to death, no need to rehash it again, but that is by far the worst thing that Negan has done um, since the moment we uh, met him. Uh, Justin writes, Negan always had a plan. People were resources with him. He'd kill one to make a point just so people would fall in line. And that's where him and his Lieutenant Simon really split. Simon was very emotional. He was a psychopath as well. When he went out and he totally annihilated the garbage people, and uh, Negan found out about it. Not only that, he found out about Simon's plan when he did not go looking for Negan when Rick rammed him with the car and those two had their little one-off battle. Simon was setting up to betray Negan and that led to the battle between Negan and Simon, which Negan won. Uh, Lindsay Sparks on Facebook writes, Negan took his time killing Alpha he had to find the right time. Absolutely. And I was pretty upset at Carol that she could not get over the fact of keep, you know, kept asking him, what took you so long? You know, I'm like, chill, lady. The guy did it. Anyway, let's move on to our topic for tonight. Okay, tonight we're going to touch upon the illnesses and, well, what medicine has been reduced to in the post-apocalyptic zombie world. Um, so Robert Kirkman did, uh, once joke and say that the origin story behind the apocalypse was a space bore. I th he was totally joking about that. 
you know, we get a little background onto how the zombie virus works, at least when it first happened, when the group visits the, the CDC in episode TS-19, the season finale of season one. We know through what we have seen on the screen that the virus has mutated. At least we are left to assume that the virus that everyone has inside them that makes you reanimate after you die has mutated. If for nothing else, the amount of time it takes for someone to reanimate after they have been killed. So now, first of all, there are not a lot of doctors and nurses around anymore. So they become a very valuable asset to any group. And if you remember when Carl brought uh, Sadiq back, it cost him his life. Uh, you can't blame Sadiq for that. That was all on Carl. Uh, he wanted to bring Sadiq back. He did. He got bit. It's nobody's fault. Uh, but Sadiq was a doctor. And... Um, Carl did not know that when he went out to try and save him. He didn't go out and try to save Sadiq just because he was a doctor. Um, Herschel was a veterinarian. Doesn't matter. In the post-apocalyptic world, uh, if you're a veterinarian, you're just as good as being a real doctor. Okay? Uh, he was able to use his skills to perform med medical, medical treatments. Uh, most importantly on Carl when he was shot by Otis in the beginning of season two uh, by accident. And that's where we got to meet the whole green farm on the green, uh, on the green family on the green farm. We would have lost Glenn and Sasha in season four if it was not for Herschel. Herschel, along with Bob, a former army medic, and Caleb, who was a doctor and he is known as Dr. S., worked together to help isolate the people at the prison, including Karen and David, without basic over-the-counter drugs to treat the symptoms of the flu, Herschel and Carl had to resort to more traditional and natural methods as they went out into the woods to collect herbs for the sick. And that's all the pandemic in season four was. It was the flu. Uh, and I mentioned this before, where Carol overstepped her boundaries in killing these people, like Karen and David, so she could stop the spread of the flu, when all they really needed is for someone to go out and find the right medication, or keep these people isolated, locked up in a cell, in case they did die in the middle of the night in turn. So she definitely took it a little too far by killing Karen and David, and then taking their bodies out into the back courtyard and lighting them on fire. Herschel made uh, elderberry tea, which is a traditional remedy for cold and flu symptoms and a natural immunity booster, which did help the sick fight the virus. It was up to Rick's skills as a cop to figure out how this illness broke out because there were no labs to test people. They relied on observation. When Rick informed Herschel about the death of the pig Violet and the sick boar in the woods, Herschel explains that this disease could have been spread by pigs and comes to the conclusion that it's some kind of influenza. This really demonstrates how the survivors had to use primitive ways of medical care to survive even the common flu. And we see the same thing over on, on Fear in regards to Jenna Elfman's character, June. Now, she wasn't a doctor, but she was a nurse. Doesn't matter. In the post-apocalyptic world, if you have any kind of medical training, you're a doctor. And, man, the amount of people that June has helped on Fear of the Walking Dead is just absolutely phenomenal. And they are resorting to... Not, of course, not having modern day medications like antibiotics and such. They have to, well, especially now, so many years into the apocalypse, where any kind of antibiotics they have already salvaged have run out. And they have to turn to herbal remedies to combat 
these illnesses in any way that they can. Uh, although Herschel got in contact with most, most of the people infected numerous times and Caleb did basically cough blood in his face, he did not get sick, which was a miracle in itself. It seemed like Herschel was somehow immune to this virus strain that was going around the prison. Now, early in season three, Herschel got bit on the leg while clearing out the prison. That's when Rick had to amputate his leg without, but nothing. He cut it off with an axe, no medical training. It was a last minute ditch effort to try to save Herschel's life. Uh, at one point during the episode, Herschel stops breathing and Laurie checks his pulse, eventually giving him mouth-to-mouth CPR to revive him. We've seen another character going through a very crude amputation procedure, and that was Aaron. Uh, Enid, who had no formal medical expertise other than what she learned from Sadiq, had to refer to a diagram in a book to perform the surgery where they had no anesthetic. Damn, that must have hurt. Daryl had to hold Aaron down. And man, you know, we know this is all fiction and fun to watch on TV. But, you know, staying into that fictional mindset right there. If you're Aaron and you need to get to get your arm amputated... You just tell somebody, if I was in Aaron's shoes, I would just tell somebody, just knock me the hell out. Just hit me over the head as hard as you can. Knock me out. That is going to feel much better than what you're about to do to me. <laughs> and uh, what about a more delicate surgeries? Carl was fortunate that he didn't suffer brain damage from getting shot in the eye. Talk about getting lucky. The kid got shot twice. Uh First by Otis in season two, then he got shot uh, by Ron when Ron was intending to shoot Rick, but Michonne stabbed him with his katana, by, with her katana, the gun goes off, of course it ends up shooting Carl in the eye, the bullet ricocheted, Carl just lost an eye, and the bullet did not penetrate his brain, which we all know would have left him dead. Uh, Denise was able to save him at the time using what knowledge she had learned in med school. Now, if you remember, Denise, who was in medical school, was pretty much on her way to becoming a psychiatrist. But it doesn't matter. A psychiatrist is, they go through the same training. As, they're, they're, they're MDs. They're medical doctors. It's, you got to go through the same medical school, whether you're in psychiatry or any other type of physical medicine. In Fear, we also saw how Andres tried to save his brother Oscar in the Season 2 finale. If you guys remember, Travis Travis accidentally slammed a door into Oscar's head when he was fueled up with vengeance against the Taurus who killed uh, Chris. Uh, You know, let's see what else we've got here on this list. In Season 3... After Maggie, Carl, and Lori are confronted by a small horde of walkers, they flee into the maze of the prison shortly after. Lori goes into labor. I mean, you know, just because you're in the zombie apocalypse doesn't mean people will stop getting hurt, illnesses stop happening, and you make do with whatever you have. And uh, it was Carol that was training on how to perform a c-section if laurie needed it and the reason why she was training if i remember correctly is because carl was a c-section baby and if you've had one child that's was born by a c-section then the chances are very high that the second third child and any afterwards are going to be born via c-section as well And that's why Carol was having, uh, I believe it was Daryl, bring in walkers from outside of the prison so she can practice the C-section when it came time for Lori to deliver if indeed, in fact, she did need a C-section. But nothing ever goes according to plan. 
not only in the post-apocalyptic world, but in the real world as well. So it was Maggie that was in the basement with Laurie and Carl. It was Maggie who had to do the C-section. Maggie is the one who delivered Judith. Uh, Laurie had lost too much blood. She had not really... It is sort of left to our assumption, but the way I saw that scene, Laurie had not actually passed when Carl shot her. He shot her while she was still alive, but there was no other way. Uh, Laurie knew it. Carl knew it. She was going to bleed out. And uh, that's when Laurie gives her big speech to Carl, how he is going to beat this world. Uh, and it's Carl that ends up shooting Laurie while she's still alive. And uh, he doesn't allow his mother to suffer anymore. He, Laurie does not die before he shoots her. She's, she doesn't die until obviously he shoots her in the head. And then Rick goes back to the basement trying to find her and she's gone. And all we see is a zombie that is hunched over with a big-ass belly. Uh, and, I mean, Laurie's body is completely missing. And that's something that has never been explained on the show. We have never seen on The Walking Dead, or in fact, any other zombie movie, that zombies, walkers, eat bones. Okay. But, but Laurie's body was gone. Uh, Rick finds the walker that presumably ate the majority of Laurie. He kills it. But as far as to what happened to the rest of Laurie, we never find out. We never find out. Singer Chick on YouTube writes, Yep, she lost consciousness, but she was still alive. She was. Uh... So let's see, we got through Lori, uh, just seeing we're almost out of time. Uh, then we had the doctors, one worked for the hilltop and the other one worked for the sanctuary and they were brothers. Uh, they both ended up dying, uh, pretty much at the hands of Negan, uh, you know, uh, Father Gabriel got sick and he was, you know, after being trapped with Negan in the trailer, and he got sick, supposedly because he got walker blood in his eye. Which, again, throughout the 10 years we've been watching this show, a lot of, we have seen a lot of people get walker blood all over their face, in their mouths. But for some reason, when the walker blood got into Gabriel's eyes, it affected him. It, he ended up losing, I mean, he didn't physically lose the eye, but he lost the sight out of that eye. So, uh, it was Dr. Uh, Carson, I believe, that helped him get better from that infection, but the eye was too far gone to uh, for his sight to be saved. So, welcome to Stone Walkers, uh, who's just joined us on YouTube. We are out of time for tonight, guys. Thank you so much. I want to say hello to Adham, who's joined us on Instagram. Thank you for being with us. We are out of time for today, guys. Visit our website, deadtalklive.com. See all of our featured episodes, upcoming guests, and more. Uh, visit us on YouTube. Our channel's name is Walking Dead Now. Please go ahead and subscribe if you have not yet done so. I'll be back on the air again tomorrow night. And, of course, Sunday, there's no Dead Talk Live. It's the one day of the week that we don't air, so you guys can enjoy watching the Walking Dead shows. Um, and until tomorrow night, guys, stay safe and always stay walking. Good night.